Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. I think, maybe, <laughs> possibly, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I'm Timothy Harvey. And we're here for as long as we're here. <laughs> So as we're getting started, it just as I start the, the the stream, internet goes out. And I'm like, okay, that's how this is going to go tonight. Because we've got quite a bit of uh uh rain event going on over here. We were it was uh, I don't know, maybe about 15, 20 minutes ago we had monsoon outside the the compound for about five minutes it was just like wow and it just opened up it wasn't anything gradual it was just all of a sudden right there's fog outside oh wait no that's not fog that's torrential rain so we might get through tonight's show we might not we'll give it a so whirl we'll give it a shot so anyway I, it's just one of those one of those nights I guess. I don't know. It's, I'm, yeah, it, it's very dampish here, and and I like rain. I'm, I'm a big fan, um, and I like it especially now that I no longer drive for a living. Uh, <laughs> right? Because Kansas City, Kansas City drivers have this strange psychosis. It doesn't matter if you were born in Kansas City or you moved to Kansas City. At some point, when driving in, in, in Kansas City, it seems to take over and there's this stunned shock at the fact that there is water coming from the sky Yeah, and people forget how to drive in rain. Yeah. And it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know what happens. And maybe there's something in the water. Um, But it, yeah, people are Kansas city drivers are, yeah, creatures unto their own. Well, <laughs> well, and I'm I'm looking. But I like at, it here. <laughs> I'm looking at the radar. I see I see a lot of yellow and orange. I see I see quite a bit of red, and uh, <laughs> Tim. Oh, okay. Oh, so I have to I have to put this one up here. Let me uh, let me let me throw this one up, and because yeah. this is this is very much uh, some irony here. Let me. I didn't start that. Hold on. Let me start the widget. I got to start the widget. Uh, I know the one you're talking about. Yep. So, and this is, and this is somebody that I have not seen in the chat, uh, before it's, it's loading. It's loading. There we go. Tim Goodwin, uh, saying, uh, rain shuts down the H2O podcast. There's irony there. And, and yes, there is. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, you're looking at the radar. I mean, there's, there's a band right now over us that's quite a bit of color. And then there's one over in Topeka and it's moving our way. So we'll see how far we get, uh, in this because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so in the background, there you go. You can see I've got an air conditioning unit. And like a lot of air condition window air conditioning unit, it's got a uh, um, a hood that sticks out the side of the building, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's a metal hood. So, 
anytime we get like torrential downpour or any hail, I have a lovely metallic tinging noise that uh, <laughs> is is often is often very very loud, and um, conveniently while because I do work from home and and so much of my my day jobs interactions with our clients and with my other staff members is virtual. So we're always talking on the, on, you know, Zoom or Skype or whatever. And the good news is, is that I have, you know, an actual microphone yes. that has a, cuts off after a certain point. Otherwise, they'd just be listening to <laughs> all the time. And it's like, uh, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm wearing, and some of you may have noticed if you're watching, you, you, you see that I'm wearing my cans tonight, my big headphones, because the last couple of shows that I've done here, the earbuds have been cutting in and out, so mm. I can hear everybody else, but I can't hear myself, and I don't know if it's the earbuds I don't know if it's the headphone jack in the mixer. I don't know if it's the microphone or the microphone cable. So I've swapped out my earphone, my headphones to see if maybe that's the problem. And so far, it seems like maybe that's it. So it's either the connector or the earbuds are going out, in which case, you know, but but these are so much nicer in terms of what it sounds like. I got a lot more bass, sure. a lot more resonant. It's, you know, it's 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 a. It's a it's a fuller studio sound. It's what I'm used to from my days in radio. It just you know, they're so big. But you know, I I generally prefer these over earbuds anyway. Mm. Yeah. So I, I I listen because I'm at home working on things by myself. A lot of times I've got like two or three different headsets. Yeah. That I. You know, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and, and, and use these for phone calls too. So, and these are when you answer the phone, when I answer the phone. <laughs> um, so these are, these are like $40 headset. Yeah. They're, they're adequate, right? And they're waterproof. So I can, you know, if I go work out or something, I'm not, you know, going to worry about shorting them out. I've got, I've short. <laughs> I don't work out. I mean, I, I just go for like a four mile walk and then do some weight stuff. It's not like I'm you know, sweating up a storm, but I've right. shorted out a headset before. Um, so, but I do have my, my ex-wife for my birthday a couple of years ago now. Um, she's like, you know, I can't really wear these iPhone, these, these Apple earbuds. They, they're just not comfortable. Do you want them? And I was like, well, okay. And, you know, these are a couple hundred dollar, you know, earbud yeah, things. Right. And they're really good quality. I mean, they're, but I, I understand why they're not the most comfortable things in the world. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I've gotten used to them, but I, I, I'll never, I'll never like them because I don't like sticking things in my ears, you know, and, and that whole principle yeah. there. But, I mean, um, these are these are on cords that stick in, you know, little earbud things. But they're they're more that they're that little um, soft rubber. Yeah, yeah they got the little gel cap thing. thing on. That, yeah. yeah, the 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 i the the Apple ones don't don't have that kind of cushion on them. These. So I get, you know, the, no, go ahead. 
finished. I was going to say that, that they're just, I mean, but the, the sound quality on them, yeah. they're really good sound quality. These have followed me since my days in college the first time. Now, and the reason I've got these is because growing up, so in 78, 79, somewhere around there, my parents got me and my sister but each our own stereo, right? So we had a, we had a stereo. Mine had an 8-track player and a cassette player and a turntable and, a, and an AM-FM radio. And my dad had a set of Sony Nova 60s. Nova 16. What are these? I don't know. The label's gone. Um, but they were gray and they were full cup headphones like these back in the day that's all they made you know they made the big the big headphone that that's that was the technology so i grew up with those big gray headphones right. and i took them with me to college when i started my college radio days in 1988 and they were already old and that year i wore them out and they died and so i ended up getting getting the replacement model which are these and I've got two pairs of these, and I've had them now for 30-some-odd years. And it, it, they they are, yes, Dave, they are vintage cans. So Dave says I'm very color-coordinated tonight. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah, so it's, yeah, I, I like these. They're just a little cumbersome, but, you know. I'm I'm old school that way. I'm old fashioned. I think I may use them all the time anymore. Speaking of old school, what you're comfortable with, right? Yeah, I mean it's I I like the sound. I like mm -hmm. how they sound. So, you know, of yeah, course, the, I've got the new. For those of you who don't know, I've had computer issues uh, over the last several months, really, <laughs> since the first of the since, since the first of the year. I mean, mm -hmm. this <clears throat> the computer that I'm currently talking to you on is the older of two iMacs and this is this computer um has had two hard drive failures in the last four months um and the only reason i'm currently talking to you on this one and not the new one is that i still because i'm there's <laughs> there's so much on this computer and even though i've got a lot of it transferred over to the new computer it's still a work in progress yeah but, um, and it's set up to do things like all my video stuff. So the um, the sound quality on the new computer is different. Sure. And so it's got a different. I mean, it's it's newer. It's this is the the new iMac is literally a twenty twenty one. So, um, and I I was listening. To, I, was, I was watching a. a, a Oh, I was watching an episode of Moon Knight on it, and I was like, "This sounds, this sounds really good." <laughs> that okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not used. I'm not used to computer speakers. I mean, this computer's speakers are fine. They're 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 fine. Yeah, but they're, I mean, it's, it's a step up, which is always nice because I've got a. In the other room, in the in the living room, uh, I've got a TV set up and with you know good speakers and things like that. So, but I spend so much time in front of my computer that that's the sound you get used to, right? 
right? So, yeah, I I we watched um, we watched uh, John Wayne Rock Hudson The Undefeated last night mm-hmm. at home, and my my stereo that I've got set up for the DVD Blu-ray player is my old Pioneer surround sound system. So that's always that's always fun to have that one on because uh, you know it's surround sound. It's all of the speakers, right? Sure. So sometimes you get spoiled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of which, we got spoiled, and now we're going to have to do without because we got the news last uh, last week, uh, late last week. Legendary artist Neil Adams passed away at age eighty. Uh, I've seen a couple of different things. I've seen a report that he died from this. This report in Hollywood Reporter. Uh, his wife, Marilyn, said that he, uh, he passed away with, from complications from sepsis. And mm-hmm. I saw another note on the Internet. I think it was Larry Hama. Maybe. I, I Don't quote me on that. I can't remember because I've seen so many different people posting about Neil Adams passing. Right. I sure. don't know where I saw this for sure. I think it was Larry Hama who said that he'd gotten a note that Adams had passed away in his sleep. So the two are not mutually exclusive, of course. So it sounds like Thursday night, late Thursday night into Friday morning, at some point he passed in his sleep uh, through through all of these complications. So uh, it was uh, it was surprising news to say the least. I mean, there are a lot of people that are that are you know on on the web over the weekend expressing their condolences also telling you know telling their neil adams stories mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we've we've we managed to interview him at planet comic-con back in 2013 i mean eight years ago now and you know where, where does the time go and and people are always talking about how he was how he was a great guy how he was a a, a, a an effective mentor and an encouragement to the to the talent that was coming up and yeah you know, this is one of the guys when you when you think of comic books and those of us who have been in at least interested somehow or we grew up reading comic books or you know we we cover comic books now there are a handful of names in the history of comics that are the game changers the paradigm shift came because of these people. Whatever that paradigm shift is, you know, there there have been different ones over the years. Oh yeah, I mean, think about it. You look at you look at go back to the 1930s. Comic books existed prior to, you know, Superman and and and, and Captain Marvel and and Batman. They, there were there were comic books before yeah. that, but the arrival of the superhero comic. And and then of course the these char- some of these characters which have stuck around for decade after decade after decade, and the various artists who have made those characters, um, have, have they've had they've had a, an impact on how stories are told because of how they created the art, and there's certain artists who are just connected to certain characters in ways that are, I mean, Kurt Swan. Yeah. Whether, however, however you feel about that, that style of art for a generation 
Kurt Swan was Superman's artist. Right. And you, that that was the look of of the Superman family. And it wasn't just the super regular Superman titles or other ones as well that he drew. Um, and there was a certain cartoony and that 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 can sound like a negative but it's really not it's there what we so much of what we consider cartoon animation now um that was just the style and and so you looked at your early batmans you looked at your your uh supermans you your green lanterns you looked at all those you know those titles captain america it was a certain art style it was sort of this exaggerated cartoony style. And then you have someone like Neil Adams come along. And that's not what he did. No. And he changed how comic books looked in a way that really has stuck with the industry ever since. Yeah, and and he came along. I mean, he he got started in the '60s drawing. Um, uh, there was a it was a uh, a newspaper strip, and Ben Casey. Ben Casey, yeah, he was the first artist on Ben Casey. And you look at you look at his work on that, and you can already see the Neil Adams style was pretty much in place from the very beginning from the get-go how he was doing you know the, the you know the way his lines go and then of course you know he he gets picked up as a stringer for for DC comics and you know introducing dead man here you know this is one of the first things that he did and, and started off in covers but you know his his batman is my Batman. I mean, this is the mm-hmm. Batman I grew up with. Right. And he and Denny O'Neill are the ones who essentially took Batman back to his noir, darker detective roots after Batman 66 camped him up. And, you know, you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties, we had the rainbow suits and the, you know, the, whatever those stories Right. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams came in and said, yeah, we're going to we're going to go back to the way it was. And, you know, by the way, the Joker's actually crazy. He's a homicidal maniac. And we're going to lean into that. The Joker was scary for the first time in decades. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I think he you look at his his design for the Scarecrow. You look at. um, uh, Oh, gosh, he gave everyone there was a sense of realism. Um. And even even in the hyper exaggerated reality of, of the superhero comic, mm-hmm. you could have this sort of, you know, his. While there was some exaggeration there, his uh, the anatomy of people. Yeah. Made sense. And it was it was human anatomy, even if it was, you know, you know, you got Superman's, you know, it's very strong. He's very muscular. But there was a this was someone who clearly. You know, I guarantee you that he had uh, a copy of Grey's Anatomy uh, oh, that yeah. he had worn through. Probably more uh, than one. Yeah, I mean, because I, you know, I somewhere around here, I still have my college copy. That, you know, I've got a graphic design degree. Did a lot of illustration work when I was younger, uh, and 
I mean, it, it's an invaluable book. And if you pay, you know, he, this is somebody who clearly learned how the human body works. And he brought that in a way, in a very dynamic style. Sequential art is hard, guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, if you can make a living as a cover artist, that's amazing and wonderful. And I, and I'm always, and some of those guys, some of the folks who do that are just amazing geniuses at art. But the folks who go out there and they do panel after panel after panel, uh, especially in some of those folks who are doing it on a monthly schedule, it's, it's a real skill and dynamic motion and that sense of consistency from panel to panel, from it, from from facial expression, from from you know, Bruce Wayne looks like Bruce Wayne from the first page to the last page of the issue. You know, yeah. the that's that takes a specific set of artistic skills that honestly Adams was one of the best of in the industry and always will be. Yeah, no question. Well, and, you know, you talk about the realistic style, the, the, the photo realistic type of thing. Uh, you know, his, his the run on Batman was one thing, but when he and Denny O'Neill did Green Lantern, Green Arrow, this, this, I think, is probably what really cemented that legendary status, I guess, for the both of them, because mm-hmm. this run here really shook things up i mean they 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 created john stewart and you've got speedy as a drug addict and this is the shift in comics where they realized what kinds of stories they could tell that they hadn't been telling before mm-hmm. and what's interesting is that you know you get into and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here but you get into these arguments about you know comics have always been political and whatnot and they point to stuff like this they point to stuff like the X-Men and you know Star Trek is another example and I my my counter to all of that has always been okay yes these stories, you know, Chris Claremont and, and O'Neill and Adams and you know, all of these guys that were telling these kinds of stories dealing with social issues or if they're getting into kind of any kind of political thing, they they generally didn't go politics so much as they did social issues. And there's a big difference there because you're not stumping for a political party so much as you're taking up a cause for you know, whatever, whatever the whatever the cause of the day is, whether it's, you know, women's lib or or anti-racism or, or whatnot. And the the drug story here, it's not political, although people look at it and, you know, because Denny O'Neill was a, a big a big liberal. He was one of the most liberal guys that ever worked at DC Comics, and he and he and John Byrne, you know, worked together and or, or Chuck Dixon. And it was it was never about the politics of something so much as about, you know, the social impact. But at the same time, in all of these stories, the primacy, the priority, the biggest thing was telling a good story. Because if the story's no good, people don't come back. Sure. And and, and the, the game, the you know, the name of the game is sell comic books. Right. Well, it's a business. Yeah. And I think I think the the other thing one has to bear in mind is that perspective from our perspective, looking back, 
at some of these titles. It's and in the world we live in now, it's easy to forget or not necessarily just not recognize that at the time, these were very controversial comics. Yes, they were. Because they were touching on these subject areas in things that people were not expecting to find them in comic books. And not only that, there was, these were not like a very special episode of Blossom, guys. This was, you know, <laughs> diving into some really dark territory and and doing it from a point of view of you know, the, the, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow combination was a very interesting one from how these characters had been revived during the Silver Age. Yeah. Because at this point, they had read this this series kicked off what we considered Green Arrow to be. Prior to this, he looked a little bit more like Errol Flynn and Robin Hood, and and Speedy was was a little shorter version of him, and and he had the Arrow car and all these things. For and those this sudden, for those who yeah. want a visual reference, if you look at uh, the animated show Batman: The Brave and the Bold, mm -hmm. with Diedrich Bader playing Batman. That Green Arrow and Speedy is what right. they looked like originally. Right, right. And so this this comic was the first place that you got Oliver Queen with the goatee. <clears throat> the more um, it's still it's still a Errol Flynnish kind of Robin Hood costume, but it's much less a superhero costume. It's more of a uh, movie archer costume yeah. there's a lot more of the leaning into the robin hood and also this the, this establishment of these two characters who come from different very different places and have forged a friendship that is not without its conflicts um and who are looking at these two different the world in in different ways and yet they make it enabled them to tell these kind of stories that were just not being told yeah. in comics at the time. And I think that you go, you see how both of them would go on in other series to tell stories. Denny's Denny O'Neill's uh, question run when he brought the question back, Vic Sage in, in the eighties, eighties, eighties and nineties. Um, he was still telling these kinds of stories. They were much more centered in political corruption and things like that. And, and the impact of a, of a corrupt government on a city that had the lawless city of hub city um, and a very acclaimed run through, through that telling this, dealing with the same kind of issues that the two of them really started doing that here. You could have not have done a series that was primarily against primarily a handful of people trying to keep a city from destroying itself. Yeah. Um, in, in what was really a crime series, it, you know, this, you had other DC characters pop in from time to time, but mostly it was, you know, well, and one it's, one guy trying to fight off, uh, you know, yeah. crime and corruption. Well, it's, so. it's funny you mentioned, you know, that being a crime series and Matuane, good to see Matuane in the chat. I haven't seen you in a while. Hopefully everything's going well. He says, Adams brought Batman back from the comic code authority days. And you talk about the crime thrillers, you talk about the crime stories, the horror stories, EC comics mm -hmm. and all the, all the stuff right. back prior to the Comics Code Authority and the kinds of stories they told then versus the kinds of stories they told under CCA and then after when they decided to ditch the, the, the whole thing. 
and you know the the beginnings of that I think were in the O'Neill Adams stuff because yeah and I don't think let me let me let me start that over again Denny O'Neill's writing as good as it is in the hands of another artist Oh. I don't know would have been as effective because if you were still had an artist that was doing the cartoony stuff like you were talking about the animated type of style, Kurt it wouldn't Swan have worked. Have, Kurt Swan could not have. He could have. Yeah. And and I'm not saying they wouldn't be great Kurt Swan stories visually, but they wouldn't have had the impact. I think the that that sense of realism, that sense of everything looking like things actually look even exaggerated in the comic book style um i think really cemented this because i think that it's really easy and and in this era you know certainly dc comics doesn't more than marvel where you've got these cities that don't actually exist right Mm -hmm. coast city metropolis central gotham city they're stand-ins for real cities but there's a there's a disconnect right it's somewhere. It's it's something else. It's somewhere else. Right. And you have the art style come in here. You have you have Neil Adams come in here with this art style, and that's a city street you recognize. That's a car you know. Your dad owns that car. Your your mom goes to a shop down the street. Looks just like that. You know. Yeah. That person walking down the street is somebody that you see. You know, once or twice a week when you're walking down to you know, the corner store. You, there was a there was a. a a rooting, an almost a rooting in the real world sensibility to his art style that I think really made these kind of stories feel much more, I don't want to say intimate isn't the right word, um, but they connected, they connected with you in a way that, that it resonated more. Yeah. It, it yeah. felt more like the world that you lived in. Yeah. Well, and Adams, even, you know, when, when you're doing the, you're doing the, the, the stories with the guardians of Oa and you're on another planet, there's still, uh, there's still a grounding in the kind of art style that Adams had, even when he's drawing fantastic alien environments, there's still things there that you recognize. There's still Mm -hmm. things that are, that are, oh, I, I don't know what that is. But it looks like, you know, X, Y, Z. And so you still have that, uh, that ability to connect with the art, even if it's some fantastic, wild alien planet. So, mm-hmm. and, not, and not too many artists, yeah, I say not too many artists. There are artists who can do that. Um, I think it's... A lot of them were inspired by him. Yeah. I mean, he's he's one of those people who, when you think about you think about the kind of you know, look at these kind of stories. If you didn't have these kind of stories when they happened, you would not have happened the uh, DC's Vertigo line. You just wouldn't have guys. It would, well, it wouldn't have happened when it did, and it wouldn't, wouldn't have happened have, the way it did. Right? You wouldn't. You know, there are there are art, there are writers who, and we saw a lot of them commenting in the news that Adam after we all heard that, that Neil had died. Um, you know, there are so many writers who were inspired to become 
writers because they read comics that he drew. Yeah. And, and those writers, those are folks who are writing now. Those are folks who are, you know, were writing in the eighties and nineties and now, and are going to be writing the next generation are, are going to be inspired by him too, because his comics are still in print. They're still out there in the world. And, you know, he hasn't gone, I mean, we've, his work, and this is always that thing where, you know, you lose, you lose the person, but their work can carry on. Right. And inspire another generation of yes. artists. Well, and, and uh, I want to, I want to highlight this, this comment from MS here real quick. He says, the irony is that the adults who were shaped by these writers and often agreed with their social stands are now the ones being villainized. I, I'm not, I, I can, I can see that point to a certain extent. Uh, I'm not sure that that's true in every case but certainly now and we've talked about this with the social media being the way it is the internet being the way it is there are a lot of ugly uh ugly behaviors that come to light a little bit more often but one thing that i want to touch on with that that particular comment is the quality not necessarily the the political arguments or the social things, because that's going to be that's going to be going on no matter what, no matter who's doing whatever. You know, the internet has made everything political, and and people are going to get ugly about everything. But setting that aside, you look at the quality of the work of somebody like a Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, uh, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, you know, the 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 greats, Bernie Wrightson. You know, Walt Simonson, I mean, Walt Simonson is put out to pasture because some 20 something buck doesn't doesn't uh, get his his art. I mean, now you look at the people who are writing, not not necessarily the writers, even, but the people who are the editors, the group editors, the assistant editors at Marvel and DC. Who don't get it, who who look at artists like Neil Adams and Walt Simonson and think, well, you, you had your day. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you set these, these people aside when they're the ones who built this industry? Without them, we wouldn't have the comics industry as, as in its heyday up in the 90s. I mean, now it's kind of a hollow shell of itself, really, in some, in some aspects. But you wouldn't even have that without Neil Adams and and Ditko and all. And f- the other side of that is creator rights. Neil Adams was oh, a huge so, advocate of of creator rights. So here's here's I think one of the 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 weird um, ironies of the situation when it comes to some of these great artists producing some amazing work they were doing it with almost no rights to their own content. Yeah. Stuff that they created. It was owned completely by this, by the comics. And, and to be fair, let's work for hire. I mean, it's work for hire. And quite frankly, they were hardly the only, and they are still, we still see this um, for, for however, however you feel about Disney, uh, for whatever reasons, one of their biggest crimes that they are committing for a lot of people right now is, they own the rights to a lot of books and they are not paying a lot of authors. Yeah. And some authors, uh, um, is it Michael, Michael Shaban has been pushing. There's been several authors who've been like really vocal about fighting back against this. 
And yeah, we talked um, we talked to Alan Dean Foster about it. Right. Um, Neil Gaiman has come come out. I mean, there he's on the committee, the the Disney Must Pay committee. I mean, there's a there's a whole group of authors who have organized right. on this now. And Disney has Disney has paid some of them. Yeah, but. There's not a all. lot of folks they have not paid. Well, and in the most recent dead. email that I got from that group, basically they're they're still out there publicly calling for anyone to come forward that has this issue because right. the long right. the the further out we get from this thing, the longer this thing goes, there are still people coming forward saying, "Hey, you know what?" Disney hasn't paid me for this. And and one mm-hmm. of the things that came out in the in the beginnings of all of that was the fact that there are a lot of independent creators, writers and authors. I mean, maybe they don't have managers, maybe that you know, they've got a lawyer or they've got an agent or whatever. But if you don't have the knowledge of what you need to look for, Mm-hmm. You may not even know that you're not getting paid for something that you should get paid for. And, right. you know, that whole that whole conversation has opened up. But, you know, it's it's it didn't start with the Disney must pay stuff. Right. No, it did not. And and I think that you you look at at this period of time when honestly, this is just how the business worked. Yeah. You came in and you did the work. And if you created a character or wrote a character in a, in a incredibly popular series, you didn't get anything special. You got another job. Well, success, and nobody, success, nobody success expected means more work. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody expected comic books to last eighty years. I mean, who, who, who would have thought that we'd be here this far out from Siegel and Schuster creating Superman? Oh, yeah. Of course not. I mean, you know, the, the idea, the, the concept of collecting comics and them having been worth something. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be, to be fair, that has led places that have not been particularly helpful to the comic industry. Uh, see the 1990s. Um, but the fact that there's, there's folks who, you know, value this stuff that is, that is, you know, stuff that's printed on cheap paper, for color printing, you know, from the 1930s or 40s or 50s, the fact that there's some, the fact that some of this stuff has even survived is pretty stunning. Yeah. In any kind of quantity. Um, but there's this, there was this idea that really it's just, you know, none of this actually mattered. But then it did. Yeah. It turned out that it, that, that, there were fans of this this entire industry and and the characters in it and the fans of the creators both the writers and the artists um who did that work and adams was instrumental in helping them get the credit and some of the financial benefits yeah um, and he was he was those things. he was a very big advocate for C. Will and Schuster and for Jack Kirby um, yeah. I don't reminder know. folks, reminder folks, some of these <laughs> great, amazing names in comics, the folks, I mean, the, the people who created Superman, the two guys, those, those two Jewish boys from New York, Cleveland, who sat there Cleveland. and went, they were Cleveland, Cleveland. thank you, thank yes. you, they, 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 who, who set out to, to, 
you know, pen a comic and draw a comic. Got almost nothing for creating one of the most iconic characters in, in history. Yeah. Sold it for $100, I think, right? Yeah. Something, something like right. that. Kirby and, was from New York, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Well, Brooklyn? And, was he a Brooklyn boy? I, th- I think so. Well, and, and you know, even even with the whole idea of the collectibles, that didn't really become a thing and blow up to be a thing until the 90s. And it almost destroyed the comics industry. Well, yeah, but I mean, even before then, you had things like, you know, I mean, DC would make like a Superman lunchbox. Yeah, but right? but and, but the speculative market as far as the, oh, the comic specula- yeah, books, the market. all of that stuff. Yeah. But you know, your your it's merchandise hurt, and your it's license still hurting the industry. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but you're yeah, you're right. The the merchandise and all of the other stuff. Well, and and you could you could take that to to George Lucas because until Star Wars, nobody really in the entertainment industry at large, nobody really cared about the, the merchandising rights for any of right. this stuff. And, you know, DC and Marvel, they've got Superman, they got Batman, they got Wonder Woman, they got they got Captain America and the Hulk and whatnot. Sure, make your make your lunch boxes and your t shirts and whatnot. But that wasn't the main thing. It was just, uh, you know, it's ancillary stuff. It, it, mm-hmm. Back in the day, that's what it was called ancillary rights, right? Your, you know, your, your, your other stuff. Because back then, the comic book industry was interested in publishing comic books. Now, not so much. You know, the comic books is, well, the, is the feeder IP for all of the other stuff. You know, you write a comic book in order to pitch the Netflix show instead of writing a comic book to write a comic book. Part of the problem comes down to, again, it's, a mon- it's supposed to be a money-making industry. Right. That's that's the goal. Yeah. And and your comic books, despite the fact that you and I can recall a time when they were (laughs) 50 cents. um, I've still got some cover price, 15 cents. Yeah. But did you buy them at 15 cents or? Yes, I did. I bought even even if you look at the price, the rate, the growth in the cover price of a comic book, comic books are still dirt cheap. I mean, yeah. you're you're and and they're the profit on individual issues of comics is there's there's pro, there's profit to be made there, but so the big money making things are these this other stuff, right? And so welcome to the wonderful world of business where they go, oh, I can make more money with the Netflix show. That's where their focus goes and. It's unfortunate that that's just how it works. I mean, I wish it didn't because, quite frankly, I mean, not to say I don't mind cool Netflix shows. Well, well, and cool that goes, prestige shows. Net, Netflix does has a really good job of canceling the cool shows. So. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to this notion of you know, and we we've talked about this before. You got a you've got a big blockbuster comic book movie. It's going to make a bajillion dollars. Put a comic book kiosk in the in the lobby. You know, sell your comic books with your comic book movie that's based on your comic books that nobody buys because you don't sell your comic books anywhere that anybody can get to. I mean, it's 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 dumb. 
No, it's really curious. And I think that there's somehow, somehow there is still this disconnect between everybody goes to see the comic book movie. Yeah. But you don't necessarily want to be the somebody who collects comic books. And I think some of that, some of that is, it's, it's sort of this manifest. Okay. So this is a holdover, I think really. And yes, the geeks took over the world. The, the, the nerds run everything now. And as a, as a proud geek and nerd, <laughs> may, um, not, may not necessarily have been a, a, the best idea. Yeah. That's a, And there, there are downsides to that as well, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, um, there has not been this sort of, I mean, okay, look, certainly, certainly, uh, comic book fandom is a big thing and, and it's the, the part of it, I think comes down to, I, I honestly do comes down to this sense that it's not cool to buy comics. And that just seems weird to me because I've always thought it has been. I mean, I was, you know, well, I was excited to go to the comic book store once a week. Yes, right? yes. But you and I grew up in a time where it was not cool to be a comic book I know, fan we were, or, yeah, we were, or a science fiction fan or, or anything like that. So just in in the general broad public view, right. you, you know, know, getting getting. I mean, the, it was it was not cool to be it was not cool to be smart. Nope. Um, at a certain point uh, in the last fifty years, um, I, I, I still, I still have it. And I don't know. I kind of wear it as a badge of pride to some degree now. I still recall one of the negative um, nicknames I got as a kid because I was a science fiction fan, and uh, was apparently not aware that that this made me uncool um, at that particular age. I was I had a nickname of Spacey. Really? When I was was in grade school, Spacey Tim, was, Spacey yeah, Harvey. Because I was, yeah, and and, and um, Brent. Uh, I'm not going to say his last name, uh, but uh, uh, on, on the off chance that that he hears this, I've long long since forgiven uh, him for that, and we became friends later. But yeah, um, I mean this because he was he was a very good at sports fantastic fantastic uh, uh athlete and i was not at that time it was always and, the jocks right well and and of course kids are cruel i mean yeah i mean children are children are awful i mean you know it's a good it's a good thing they're cute otherwise you know um we wouldn't have another generation because they're just terrible little monsters you love them but um and and cruelty to each other is just a thing that built in with being a kid yeah. and and so you know those kind of things and at the time that was painful you know that because you, you were you were separated up from the cool kids right yeah i you got know? i got bullied on the playground you know i was i was running around pretending to be spider-man and i got tackled on the ground i i actually got got you know on the ground beat up for for doing all of that uh, yeah. MS says, when we were kids, comics were sold by the register of the grocery store, came in the Oreo pack. I find that the segment of readers in our country in general is low. I have a hard time getting students to read at all. And, you know, and that's a, I, I think that's a broader problem. And, and 
some of it with regard to the comics, you have uh, you have the industry kind of doing it to themselves by getting out of the uh, getting off the newsstand, getting out of the convenience stores. I mean, I I got comics. You know, you used to get comics in the spinner rack of the Seven Eleven, and right. yep. the, they don't do any of that anymore. Diamond or, or Lunar or wherever they're they're going to the they'll they'll maybe go to the bookstores with the graphic novels. And the graphic novels change the industry a lot, too. Mm-hmm. But then you've got just your local comic shops, which didn't used to be a thing and then became a right. thing for a while. And now, you know, it's it's kind of a kind of a dying art in and of itself. But uh, yeah, I, I think that if you were to do but it, the, the part of the problem with the comics is. You get people interested in reading comics if the art on the cover is good and if the art on the inside is good because oh hey what's that i pull it off the shelf and now i flip through it and you've got this fantastic art from somebody like a neil adams or arthur adam or uh, yeah arthur adams or 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 um uh hubert or swan or Pat Roderick, Pat Roderick, um, or either of the Ramitas. Yeah, yeah. This, this I'm going to take with me. But you, you, you pick up a comic book now and you open it up, and Captain Marvel, uh, 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 Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel looks like a potato in the face. I'm, I'm not going to buy this book. And it's they're, they're doing it to themselves almost by not getting artists who are as good as Neil Adams. In, in fairness, there's a lot of fan, there's a lot of fantastic artists out there, and there were a lot of artists at the time of Neil Adams and and long after him that were not as good as him. He right. was a cut above. I think I think with comic book shops, you have a, you have a double edged sword. You have an opportunity to put this wide range of different kinds of comics in front of the people who are interested in them. Comic book shops are great for that. You can go yeah. in and find romance comics and horror comics and superhero comics and war comics these were all part and parcel of the entire industry over the entire life of the industry yeah and a lot of that stuff if you want to get a romance comic you're getting it from an indie publisher or you're getting it from a smaller publisher you're generally not getting it from marvel or dc you're you're getting you know horror comics that's coming from your dc black label right now or vertigo or but a lot of that's going to be your independent it's going to be your dynamites and things like that um so that's great because you have this exposure right and it's all right here it's all in this it's this it's this big room full of all these cool things that you can explore the problem is is that it becomes a uh it becomes a specialty store and one of the things that we discovered when the internet came to be Mm-hmm. and the explosion of online purchasing this of course was a big concern for the book for bookstores because it's like right. oh my god they can order books online no one's ever going to want to come into a bookstore again you can do this all from the comfort of your home <laughs> right. and 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 what we saw because i was in the industry at the time i was i was working for borders when this really was exploding and borders borders was an example of how not to roll out an online Book yeah. presence yeah you're really crappy at it yeah 
Um, and and Barnes and Noble was moderately better, but Amazon, of course, was the big dog at that particular point, and Amazon still is the big dog. But what happened? Everyone was concerned about the smaller businesses going out. Um, you know, just your your mom and pop bookstore, your your neighborhood bookstore owned by that same guy who's owned it for twenty years, yeah. and or that used bookstore that we were, everyone was terrified of these little things going away. Yeah, shops like Uncle Hugo's. Yeah. But what ended up happening is that for a lot of those folks, um, they're specializing in their particular niche of books, your mystery bookstore, your mm. romance bookstore. This actually enabled them to, to weather this change. A lot of the smaller shops did go out of business. A lot of the bigger chains went out of business. Yeah. I used to work for Borders. They don't <laughs> exist anymore. Gone. Yeah. Um, but there was, and I think comic book shops during that period weathered it because they were comic book shops. You went to the comic book shop. The problem is, is that we don't shop like that anymore. And you see this happening with, I mean, it, and, and this is a broader thing. And I think comic books, comic book shops have unfortunately been caught up in it as well. You don't go to the mall anymore. Yeah, malls. I mean, it's it, malls we, are gone. We have we have changed how we buy things, and some of that is just time marches on. But yeah, if 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 it were I, <laughs> and it never is, one of the best thing one of the best things we did for driving comic book and graphic novel sales in the Borders store I worked for was we had a comic book rack and we sold individual issues. It didn't last for more than a couple of years because company-wide, it didn't generate enough sales. And it's like, okay, well, we tried it. It didn't do yeah, what we wanted right. to do. But to be honest, we sold some and I bought some because they were right there. And and it's it's interesting to to get into this part uh just out out of all of this because uh I have made the joke and it's half it's halfway a joke but maybe not really depending on how things go in the next few years. Uh I have said uh to Mrs. Boss that if if this if this thing doesn't work out uh, then we could open up a used bookstore and start, you know, just start collecting, start collecting from various different people and, and start a, a used bookstore that also includes comic books and no Funko Pops. Sure. But then, you know, as the as the idea continues to, you know, percolate a little bit, we you know, you've got to add the coffee shop because, you know, if you're going to read... You have to have some place to sit down and read, you know, it's a it, co comfy so chairs, coffee right, and yeah. books. Mm -hmm. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the retirement plan <laughs> is to, is to set up a used book. <laughs> I think I, I even came up with a name for the bookstore and now I can't remember what it was. Um, it was very, very, very clever and very brilliant. And I can't remember it. And of course, uh, Eastland, I don't has got a note in here. We're experiencing something like the mom and pop shops losing out to the Walmart this has been going on for a long time. Okay. Yeah, this is but I think I think the I, I think the pandemic house arrest kind of exacerbated it a lot because nobody can get out and it, go anywhere and it killed small businesses. Oh, oh, there's no there's no question that was a damage. But this is something that's been my my grandparents, um, my dad grew up in a town called Decorah, Iowa. 
Yeah. Uh, it's still there. It's a beautiful little town. I almost went to college there. There's a Lutheran college up there that has used to be a Broadway, uh, a Broadway tour show stop back in the day. <laughs> uh, amazing, amazing stage. Uh, I, I, but I don't know. I go, going to college in the town where your grandparents live, that just seems like. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, so I'm, dangerous I'm graduating high school, 1988. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I want to go to a Christian college. But here are my here are my options. You know, I've got I've got Abilene out in West Texas. I got Lubbock Christian College out in out, out in West Texas. Well, Lubbock Christian University now. All of them went to university when I was growing sure. up. It was Lubbock Christian College, and you had Abilene out there, and you got Pepperdine all the way out in California. I was like, I there's no way I'm going out to California. You have Oklahoma Christian. You got Harding. You got Freed Hardman, and you got a couple of others. And I was like, well, Freed Hardman is too far east. So my options really were Harding or Oklahoma Christian. And I think I'm not going to Harding because Harding is a block away from my mother's entire family. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. Nope. Because when you might th- as well be living at home. I know and- when a third of the faculty went to school with my mom, I was like, nope, it ain't going to happen. Although it probably would have been a better right. education and a better experience for me. I ended up going to Oklahoma and I was like, oh, well, in hindsight, yeah, so, in hindsight, that was a big mistake. But, you know, so you live in there to, to get back to get back to the. <laughs> yeah. But Eastland's so, got uh, a good the, point. People got used so, to, well, to, to shopping online and not going in person. And I can actually speak I, to this because Mindy and I were having this very conversation the other day where I have gotten to a point where I don't want to go anywhere and it's not, it's not a, it's not an agoraphobia. It's not, it's not, you know, fear of people or crowds or anything like that. It's just, I don't want to get out. I don't want to deal with people. It's too much effort. It's too much of a, it's too much of a hassle. You got to take time to get there and then you got to deal with people who are being people. But the thing is, is that is that this is just the latest iteration of something that really started when we got when, when the big box retailers really exploded. And this is going back decades. So the, my point about Decorah, Iowa, is that the downtown of Decorah, Iowa used to be. Used to be mm-hmm. a s- single. I don't know, mile and a half long street of mom and pop shops. Yep. Independently owned. Right. Walmart moved into town. My grandparents run a hobby shop. My first, my first model kits bought from my grandparents. Um, my first nightmare fuel, the doll <laughs> aisle, because it was all doll parts. So little Ooh, disembodied doll yeah, heads, yeah. random arms, um, you know, just creepy stuff. Um, but um, that was the, the top level. The bottom level, my, my grandfather was a, zenith repairman back when oh there was such a yes. thing as a zenith, zenith. i remember zenith uh, so um i my my the first pc i ever worked on uh aside from like the com no it was commodore was first but the mm. second one zenith's pc zenith had a pc zenith had a pc oh. okay. clearly clearly it was successful um but Quite frankly, they um, 
you know, Walmart moved to town and it murdered yeah. that downtown strip. And here's what, and, 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 and it's, it's, we see this happening with the online stuff, but where it really started was you didn't have to go to five different stores. You could go to one. Yeah. I know. And then that because and and it's the same thing really because you don't have to leave your house. Well, you didn't have to go to five different stores all across town. You could go down to the Walmart or the Kmart or the yeah. Target or whatever it is. And and okay, look, I go to these places too, right? It's convenient. I'm not I it's but it changed how these things work. Right. And it's the same thing with it's bring back and bring it back around to Neil Adams. Um, it's the same thing that happened with comic books is that once once you have the one stop shop for your comic books, they're not everywhere else. Yeah. And that I think I think ultimately that was the beginning of where we are with that. And that's and that's yeah. not to bash comic book shops. And, I love comic book shops. Well, and I but. and I wonder. I have to wonder too on on occasion. And I don't think about this too terribly much. But but I every now and again wonder if coming out of the pandemic, if coming out of lockdown, and people realize just how much how dependent we've gotten on the online stuff, and how much everybody is. It being tracked and the surveillance state and, you know, Google is watching everything and Amazon's watching everything else and stuff. How much of that then flips so people will sit there and go, you know what? I don't mind so much going to that mom and pop shop to stick it to Jeff Bezos. And, and maybe we get some kind of a revitalization of small business because, you know, without small would... business, you don't have a really good, strong working economy. Honestly, I I would love that. Um, I I fear that the convenience of things is probably going to work against that. Maybe not to mention, not to mention. Um, somehow, we've all decided that being online all the time is a good idea. It's not. No, it's, it's, it's not. not. Uh, has no. got an interesting note here. He says, speaking of retirement plan, I was at ICCC over the weekend. That's a commit. That's a Comic-Con. And I deeply regret getting rid of all my Star Wars toys. Saw an Ewok village set for $650. <laughs> I feel your pain, Matuin. I had the Death Star playset. The original, the first one, the 22 inches tall playset. Right, right. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't remember what happened to it. I it, but it's it. I have most gone. of my Millennium Falcon back from my parents. I've got all of my Millennium Falcon. I have. I have the land speeder, but it's missing the seats. <laughs> I've got my original Mego. You guys have seen this. I've got my original Mego Kirk and Spock sitting over here on the shelf now. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's but but see, it's one of those things. Where I'm like. I'm not going to sell this. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And so much, so many of my, so many of my, my, my toys that would be worth something now. I played with them until they broke. Yeah. Well, and, oh, and you've man. got the stuff that's out of the box or, or whatever. It's still in really good shape. You know, I've got, I've got the, I've got the first star Wars action figure box, the, the, the collector case, 
You know, not the not the C three PO head or the Darth Vader head, but the very first one. And it's and you know I've got it's full of action figures, and they're all in fairly good shape. Um, but I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything with them. I I have I have always I had a certain perverse <laughs> sense of pride that is that is not fair. It is not fair uh, to anyone who who quite honestly loves collecting and and wants to buy the buy this stuff and and fully intends to to treat it as an investment that's fine yeah. that's great i mean I, i'm not criticizing anyone who does that i've never looked at it that way whether it's been comics or toys and now i did have a few uh, i did get a few single issues of comics that were you know like milestone editions you know superman number 50 after the reboot you know sure. the john Byrne that run and you know things like that and i've got 50 copies of x-men number one from whatever 1990 everybody has 50 copies of x-men number one that's the jim lee 50 copies yeah i don't know how i ended up with 50 copies because i didn't buy 50 i think they breed and they said you you go into you open the box and it's like wait a minute yeah my uh my ex-wife's father uh dealt uh with um uh baseball cards and and he got into comic books for a while and he somehow i don't know where he got them but he got a box of these and now i've got them and i'm like well okay maybe at some point one of these days because we thought about adding it as a perk in our our indiegogo whenever we ended up doing an indiegogo but we still got to do our indiegogo I don't know. I, honestly, do though, that. I think I think my dad's baseball collection is baseball card collection is probably worth a lot of money because he yeah. actually was a smart and canny collector. But he actually enjoyed collecting baseball cards. He was of that generation where that was sure. kind of a thing that you did. Yeah. Um, but um, we've we've traveled far afield from. So from okay. So let Adams. me ask you this: If we go, we're going back into to comics. Who are some of the Neil Adams? of today do you think who's who's the breakout artist who's going to be the next the next one to give us a paradigm shift of some sort talking now i don't know um and part of that comes out of i think there's some really talented artists in 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 comics right now Mm -hmm. uh, across whether they're indie artists or with the big two or or with the smaller companies there's some really really fantastic artists out there but so many of the folks, and this is this is a good thing and a bad thing. So many of these artists have learned from people like Neil Adams and and Pat Broderick and Ditko and and Kirby. I'm not saying there's there there's a sameness to the art because that's not true. There's a wide variety of art. Some of it is yeah. really amazing. Some of it is is not. But there's a wide variety of art out there. But I'm not currently seeing anybody who's doing anything. And and please, guys, if you if you know someone that you can correct me, by all means, please do. I'd love to see it. Um, I'm not seeing anybody who's like game changing the visual texture right now, and that's not that big of a surprise because, quite frankly, um, those people don't come along very often. 
And I mean, you look at, you look at, I think we saw a lot of experimentation with like painting styles back in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Uh, again, you look at, you look at uh, uh, the vertigo lines, right? Um, the, uh, who's the artist on black orchid? Was that, da- was day? that David Mack? It wasn't David Mack. It, my, I can't, I, 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 uh, Bill Psychowicz, um, you know, these people who are like really exploring, like really, I don't want to say chaotic, but yeah, but Sin- visually, Sinkevich, Sinkevich has a lot of, I, of uh, I always uh, abstract, abstract stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that that you you would get this sort of it, it was experimentation with art styles, and and I think that that's uh, and but somebody who is just like changing the game, who's who like makes this sudden like, <gasps> yeah right now i don't i can't think of anybody um but i think some of that is is that some of these folks learned the right lessons from from adams and and michael golden and and some of these folks who are really just they took that uh that dynamic realistic style Ooh, dave dave mckeon yeah thank you thank you it's dave mckeon i think who did uh uh black orchid um and he did the cover art. I think didn't I think he did the cover art for what the entire Sandman run. Um, so I mean that kind of stuff that that where where folks are experimenting. But the thing is, is that you're not getting you're not getting that kind of sequential art. It's hard to do. Uh, on a re, on a recurring basis, or maybe you put something out like you know four issues or 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 you know six issues a year or something, or or put it out as a quarterly. Uh, because that stuff can be really challenging to do consistently, and and even even artists who are amazingly talented struggle with that because it's hard work. Um, so, um, I mean, it's are there artists that I'm in? You know, there's a lot of artists who I think are doing good work, but I also don't pay attention to artist names the way I used to. Yeah. To be fair. And and a little more so with writers. Um and part of that unfortunately comes out of the nature of the industry still is that you don't get for like an ongoing series, right? You're not getting if you have the same artist for 12 issues. That's not as common as it used to be. Right. And some of that comes down to scheduling. I mean, it's tough, but not a comic every month, guys. I mean, there's there's pros and cons to that. You get a comic every month. Downside is, is you got to put out a comic every month. And, <laughs> and, and the irony is that more, the, the more technology we have now, the harder it is for some of these artists to deliver on a deadline. And you, you stop and think, you know, back in Neil Adams' day, it's pen and paper. You don't have you don't have any digital anything. It's just you draw the book, you send it in, and and that's that's all that's that's the only way to do it. But you also had to work at speeds that, quite frankly, were not good for anyone's health or mental well-being. Right, and uh, and I you mean, still get art like what Neil Adams delivered every month. Oh yeah. Despite well, all of some that. people, some people. I mean, there's look. There are there. Are, I'm a, I'm a I'm a good illustrator. I'm a good painter. 
Um, but I am never going to be in in the same space as somebody like Neil Adams. No. My kid, my kid is an amazing artist, and and the completely different kind of art. Yeah. Um, but uh, and and they're not even in the same space. He was he was a genius. I mean, he was his talent is. He just he just truly is one of the greatest greatest yeah. illustrators and, and of sequential art ever. Christopher says there's an artist at Marvel who's fantastic. Peach Momoko does mainly covers. I've heard the name. I've seen some of the art. Uh, really good, really good style. There's there's some. Fa- Joelle Jones is another one who's who's a, a good artist. Oh, um, there's some amazing cover artists out there. Um, um, Hughes, Adam Hughes. Is, oh, Adam, yeah, Adam Hughes and, and Adam Hughes's style goes goes in and out. Um, Art Adams is still doing still doing covers more yeah. than he's doing uh, interiors. Um, Katie Kubert uh, is Golden coming still, up. Huh? Katie Kubert is coming up. She's yeah, third um, third generation Kubert. Uh, Michael Golden, I think, still pops up. Who's a, a, a fan? I'm a huge yeah. fan of Michael Golden. Oh, yeah, he's one of the artists who inspired me as a kid, and I got to meet him. Uh, through through sci-fi for me at a con, um, but and Walt Simonson um, is still out there drawing, folks. <laughs> well, and, and you know, here's the thing: is that it's it's good. It's a good reminder every now and again. There's always going to be somebody who comes up and looks at the quote-unquote old guard, yeah, and says, "This style of writing, this style of art, this style of storytelling." That's old, man. We got to do something new. And to some degree, sometimes that's true. There is no question. Sometimes you do have worn out art styles and worn out writing styles and worn out storytelling styles. But sometimes you don't. And it's good to recognize that some of these folks, um, they, they did set the standard and they maintained the standard. Yeah. And they didn't always get it right every time. Um, some of the most amazing writers in the world have turned out a bad comic book or a bad novel or a bad movie script or a bad TV story. Some of the best actors in the world have turned in crappy performances and some of the best artists in the world have drawn a hand that will haunt them till the (laughs) day they die because that hand was wrong. Or or pouches. Oh, well, yes, there's, there's a great there's a great many artists of the 90s who who twitch every yeah. time they see a fanny pack. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I, as as we as we wrap up here, that you know, you know who the next one is that we're going to be talking about in this in this context, right? Is going to be George Perez. And that's going to be a tough one for a lot of people. Well, and, and here's the thing. We, you and I are of the right age to have lived through some really amazing, talented people. Yeah. And so much, you know, we're, our parents were the World War II generation. The 1960s in terms of, of literature and art and music and film in the U.S. uh, And, and, and around the world really but us and the uk for the for the british invasion Mm -hmm. we were born right after all that kicked off yeah and so we've gotten to grow up with these amazingly talented people being there all the time 
And sadly, time marches on. Yeah, and we start to and, lose them all. Um, I mean, when David, when uh, uh, when Freddie Mercury died, it was thirty years ago, man. Um, it was like what? And then, of course, David Bowie, when when he passed away, it's like okay, okay, wait. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact is, the fact is, is that we got to experience all of these folks when they were doing their best work. You go down and we went down to the comic book shops and we picked up Neil Adams drawn comics when they happened. Yeah. That's and 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 there's a generation that the generation that follows us still gets to uh discover those because however you feel about writing styles, however you feel about the stories people were telling then and stories people are telling now, the fact is is that so many great comic books have stood the test of time for rereading them 20 30 40 years later oh yeah well i still break out some of the ones that i've had for 40 50 years well, i have not quite, entire, not quite 50 years but <laughs> yeah i have the entire sandman run i have the entire question run that denny's on denny o'neill's did yeah and every now and again i will go back yes iggy pop is still here <laughs> Iggy, Iggy Pop, yeah, I, I feel like Iggy Pop is kind of like Keith Richards. Can they die? Right. Is it? Um, <laughs> and it's gonna it, part of me. It's gonna break my heart just a little bit when Iggy Pop goes because uh, there's just something about that that wildness to the music. Anyway, yep. um, all right. If you if you have not read if you have not read the the classic uh, Green Lantern. Green Arrow series with with you know O'Neill and and highly recommended Adams. It, it's out there. Trade yeah. paperbacks exist. Go yeah. get go find them. Uh, go to your library. You know what? Uh, there are a lot of libraries that carry comic graphic novels. See if they have it. See if they'll order it in. Interlibrary loans are cool things. Yeah. Um, I've gotten a lot of great stuff through interlibrary loans, but there's just I mean, it, treat yourself. Treat yourself. It's good storytelling and it's great art. All right. We got red stuff coming in oh, on the radar. So we're going to wrap it up here. Folks, if you uh, if you have feedback that you would like to give us, the uh, the email address, h2o at sci-fi com. Of course, you can always leave a comment here. You can connect with us on various different social medias, like all of them. Well, not all of them. There's 10 of them. We're not on TikTok. We're not on Face. Uh, we're not on Snapchat. We're not on Tumblr. So that you know, most places, just do a search sci-fi for me. We've got an account mainly, mainly just to park there. But uh, we've also got a tip jar. If you want to support us financially, we got a newsletter you can sign up for. And uh, we will do this all again next week. And don't forget a reminder. Last week's 300th episode is still out there for you to watch if you haven't already. So you can see us talking about the first 57 minutes of the movie 300. <laughs> uh, so, you're going to have to finish that. You're going to have to finish that and let me know what you think. Yeah, I we we actually got a comment on it and somebody was like, "Well, I I'm curious, why didn't you just why didn't you just rent it dig- digitally?" And I thought, eh, "I could have, but I'm 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 a physical media guy. Maybe that's something we need to talk about at some point, the advantages of physical media over digital stuff." So, 
I don't know. We'll see. All right. That's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Uh, just stay safe. Read your comic book. Go check out uh, Go check out some of Neil Adams' work. And we'll be back next week. Thanks very much, folks. Good night. Bye, guys. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 